This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, looking this morning at verses 8 through 18. Hear the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you were zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good than if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Let us pray together. Our Father, this is your word. As we come to it, we recognize its inherent authority. We recognize, Father, that it is right and it is true and it is reliable. And, Father, we pray now that you would feed our souls by the richness of your word, by its truth. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On March 18th, just last month, Sean Holes, an American evangelist, was street preaching in Glasgow, Scotland, when he was approached by a same-sex couple who asked him what he thought about homosexuality. This is not an unusual occurrence, Holes reports. He answered this way. Your homosexuality is the least of your problems. Your problem is your heart. He added that homosexuality, yes, is a sin deserving of hell, but that all sinners, including himself, deserve God's wrath, but are offered salvation in Jesus. Afterwards, police officers came and arrested Holtz and took him to jail. Uh, He was rather surprised at this since he said he and his fellow preachers had just asked hours earlier 
asked an officer if it was acceptable to preach freely on the street there and to answer questions about homosexuality, and they were told yes. Well, the officers were courteous, took him uh, where they spent a night in jail, and Holes was given two choices. One would be to plead guilty to, as he saw, trumped-up charges, pay what he hoped would be a small fine and released, or to plead not guilty to wait up to eight weeks for a trial with no guarantee that he would win his case uh, and unable to leave the country, leave Scotland, in the meantime. Well, uh, Holes said that he decided to plead guilty to breaching the peace by, quote, uttering homophobic remarks that were, quote, aggravated by religious prejudice. He was fined a thousand pounds, about fifteen or sixteen hundred dollars, which was unprecedented, and he was allowed to return to the United States. He said his intention was simply to answer a question. As he put it, we don't single out people because of their preferences, but certainly when they start asking questions, we want to make sure they know what the Bible says about what they're doing and what they're practicing. I hope that you and I would have done precisely the same thing. But sometimes doing the right thing, sometimes doing good, brings on suffering. And that's exactly what the Apostle Peter is talking about here. He has been going through addressing various people uh, with his concern that Christians maintain a good reputation with outsiders, with unbelievers, going back to verse uh, 12, chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And he refers to Christians in our relationship to the civil government. He refers specifically to servants in their relationship with their masters, wives in relationship to their husbands, husbands in relationship to their wives, wanting to encourage and preserve good household order uh, in, in that society. But then finally, he has more a more general address here. Finally, he says, all of you. And he has some words to encourage us, uh, all of us, as we live in a society that may be looking for opportunities to accuse, looking for opportunities to criticize. And so he's already made the point in verse 20 of chapter 2, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure you see, as believers, we're not to, to bring suffering on ourselves because of our own foolishness, because of our own sins, because of our own crimes. If we are going to suffer, Peter says, let it be for righteousness. Let it be for doing good. There are right reasons to suffer. There are times when standing for what is right, when doing the right thing, when doing what is good, will cause people to criticize you or to harass you or to attack you for doing what God calls good. How do we, how do we deal with that? How do we get ready for that? How can we be prepared for that? Well, Peter gives us four ways here that we need to think about that help us to prepare to suffer for righteousness' sake. What, from whatever quarter that affliction might derive, we need to be prepared. Here are, here are four things, four steps he, he, he gives to us to help us to be ready for that and to bear a good witness even in the face of criticism or antagonism or arrest or whatever it might be. Number one, prepare your relationships. Prepare your relationships. And look at verse 8 for what we mean. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, 
sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. We, we need relationships that are characterized in a word by peace. You see, Peter is saying that if we're going to be prepared to suffer for righteousness sake, we need to be people who are prepared to live in peace in our relationships. He describes it by these different words, unity of mind, trying to be agreeable, trying to get along with our brothers and sisters in Christ, having sympathy. Uh, the word literally means to be able to feel with uh, for one another. In other words, we're not, we're not hardened people toward one another. We feel with and for one another. Brotherly love, uh, recognizing that we share as brothers and sisters in the salvation of Christ. There is a unique bond, indeed a, an eternal bond that is there in Christ. A tender heart, again, we're not hard-hearted, unfeeling. And he says a humble mind. You, know, you go back to thinking what Paul wrote in Philippians 2 uh, of, of the example of Christ, that we too should, should consider our others more important than ourselves. We should look not only to our own interests, but also the interests of others. In other words, we're a person who generally is characterized by peace in our relationships with, with other people. We're not contentious. We're not stirring up division or strife. We're not hurting feelings everywhere we turn. Uh, but also along with this, and our, uh, this is preparing in our relationships, means that we have learned the art of forgiving. Notice what he says in verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Why does he have to say that? Because by nature, fallen nature, when someone insults us, we want to insult them back. You know, when someone does us wrong, we want to, we want to get revenge. We want to make them pay. Make them hurt for doing what they did to us. But Peter says no. And in this, of course, he's following the teaching and the example of Jesus. He's he's paralleling the, the teaching of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. We've looked at recently. Don't repay evil for evil. Whereas Paul says overcome evil with good. He says, on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. Remember, that's what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may obtain a blessing. And then he cites these verses from Psalm 34 uh, to, to the same effect. We're to keep our tongues from evil. We're to keep our lips from lies. We're to turn away from evil, to do good, to seek peace and pursue it, because the Lord is watching. The Lord sees us. And that's why he cites those verses there uh, from Psalm 34. So we need to prepare our relationships we need to make sure that we're not the kind of person who brings suffering on ourselves because we're contentious, because we're vengeful, but rather we strive to live at peace. And when others do us wrong, we respond not only by not doing them wrong back, but by doing them good, praying for them, being a blessing to them. You see, that's supernatural. That's the work of Christ in you that enables you to do it. It's not easy. And we often have to fight that first impulse to to insult them back, to do something to get them back. And yet, Christ's call, Paul's call, Peter's call on us is to overcome evil with good. We need to prepare our relationships because you see, just in the, in the give and take in life, we're going to have the opportunity to practice this. But what about when, when, when you were innocent and someone really comes after you? That's when you need this training. That's when this needs to be developed and strengthened in you to be able when somebody really has done something wrong to you, 
to be able to respond in this Christ-like way. So we need to prepare our relationships. That's the first thing that Peter says here. Second, we need to prepare our hearts, uh, not just the, the relationship outwardly, but our heart within. Look at what he says in verses 13 and following. Peter says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? See, we need to have the right motivation. Zeal for what is good. Now, that's a rhetorical question, and you might say, well, I can think of any number of people. And Peter does, too. Peter knows that even when you're trying to do good, there are people who oppose you. In our society, for example, what we think of as good, uh, our society might think of as wrong or evil or at least indifferent. A husband and a wife in marriage, what a concept. That's a good thing, we would say, yes. Some would say, well, that's one option among many. And we would say, along with Sean Holes and others, that yes, homosexuality, along with all kinds of other things, are sin against God. We would say that's wrong. Society might say that's good. Or at worst, indifferent. You see, when Peter says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Well, there may be people who define what is good differently than we do and would be quite willing to harm us or oppose us. But we need to have the right motivation, zeal for what is good. Not zeal for self, not selfishness, not revenge, but if we are zealous for what is good. You see, in our hearts, we need to have the right motivation. In our hearts, we also need to have the right perspective. Look at, look at uh, verse 14. But even if you should, because Peter recognizes there are those who can oppose us and want to harm us for doing what is good. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. We need to have the right perspective. To suffer for the name of Jesus is a blessing. To suffer because you're cantankerous and difficult to get along with, no. But to suffer for serving and following and being faithful to Christ is a blessing. Sean Holes may not have enjoyed that night he spent in jail. He may miss that money he had to pay, which thankfully some others helped raise the, the funds with him and for him. But he is a blessed man to be identified with Jesus in that way and to suffer for the name of Jesus and and countless others. It is a blessing. We need to have the right perspective. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount there at the end of Matthew chapter 5, or at the end of the uh, Beatitudes rather in Matthew chapter 5, when he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all, all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, we need to have the right perspective. Is it fun? No. Are we to bring it on ourselves? No. But when you suffer for the name of Jesus, you are a blessed man or woman or child. We need to have that right perspective and tune our hearts to see it that way. And also in our hearts, having the right master. Look at verse, again, verse 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Or some translations say, set apart Christ as Lord. Who is the master? Is that that man, that, that, that organization, that group that you might fear? No. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but let Christ be your Lord. Make sure that you are responding to Christ in obedience, not to some opponent out of fear. See, we need to make sure we have the right master. Who is Lord of your heart? 
Is it what others might think of you? Is it fear of your classmates, fear of your co-workers, fear of your neighbors? Do you profess Christ as Lord and yet someone else or some other group is really your Lord? That's really who's affecting the way that you live in your life. Peter says, don't be afraid of them, but set apart Christ as Lord. Regard him as holy, as the set apart one over your life. So we prepare our relationships by making sure that we are peaceable and forgiving. We prepare our hearts in this way by making sure, Peter says, we have the right motivation and the right perspective on our suffering. And as he says here, the right master, the Lord Jesus third thing we need to prepare is not just our relationships, not just our hearts, but also our minds, how we think. Look at verse uh, 15 again. Always being prepared, how? Prepared mentally to make a defense, an apology, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, There's an assumption here, and that is that people will ask. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to wait for somebody to ask before we talk to them about Jesus. We might steer the conversation that way, or circumstances might make it an opportune time to bring up a person's spiritual condition, their relationship to God. Uh, but, But the assumption behind this is that someone might ask, why? Because they see hope in you. They see a difference in you. You're not like other people. In the face of hostility, in the face of opposition, you respond with grace. You respond with love. You respond with blessing. Why? That's not normal. That's not what most people see or experience. And yet that's what Peter is describing here. They may be curious. They may be hostile. He doesn't say, but... That someone would ask, well, what is different? What is it about you that causes you to be this way? And notice what he says, that there's, that there's a couple of requirements here. First of all, that we're prepared to give an answer for why we are Christians. Can you do that? Can you, one, give, a, give, give what it means that you are a Christian, that you are trusting in Jesus, you're following him, he's forgiven your sins, that uh, he, he died for you, but also can you give something of a defense of that, why that is the case in your life, why it's reasonable to follow Jesus, to believe in him. You know, that's the kind of thing Peter is talking about here, being prepared to make a defense, being prepared to explain. It doesn't mean you're going to have to be able to answer every question that they have. By the way, you, you you may not have a PhD in biblical studies, but if you reading if you read your Bible, if you pay attention in Sunday school, uh, if you're paying attention in the services, you know far more about the Bible than most people who come to you in opposition. And most of them know less about the Bible than you do. But the point remains: you don't have to be able to answer all their questions, but you do, according to what Peter says, uh, have to be able to be ready to give a defense. Uh, of of why you are a Christian to anyone who asks you what it means to be a Christian and why it makes sense to be a Christian. Can you do that? We can go into that more at length. That's really outside the scope of this sermon. Uh, Some of the things you might talk about, the resurrection, for instance. Just last Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. You know, the the impossibility of, of Jesus having survived his crucifixion and, you know, the swoon theory and just woke up in the tomb. 
uh, or the, the theory that his disciples took the body, or the theory that his disciples just made up some story about him being raised. All the officials would have to do is produce the body, and it's all over. Or that Jesus merely lives in their hearts and memories, um, right? Uh, again, just produce the body, and it's it's all over. You know, you can talk about the, the reasons we believe Christ is raised, and you would satisfy what... Peter is talking about here, but not just the requirement to be able to do it, but how we do it. Notice what he says. Yet, verse 16, do it with gentleness and respect. You know, if there was anyone who was a master at that sort of thing, it was Francis Schaeffer, who could take people who were, you know, atheists or struggling or didn't know what they believed or caught in all kinds of sin And he would deal with them exactly the way Peter says, gently with regard for them and where they were as a person and respect for them. He didn't attack them. He didn't run them down. He didn't become angry with them. And and certainly many others, too. But it's, it's all too easy when we talk about our faith with unbelievers to begin to generate more heat than light. Peter says, no, you need to talk to people with gentleness and with respect with regard for who they are and where they are. Why? So that those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Again, seeing that you're not uh, just an irrational, rabid, foaming-at-the-mouth Christian, but that you love people, that you have truth, that you have reasons behind what you believe and what you say, that we do so in a loving manner. And again, in verse 16, he gives us the fourth thing that has to do with uh, how we prepare ourselves, our relationship, as he says here, our hearts, our minds, you know, knowing the scriptures. Finally, our conduct. Uh, again, look at verse 16. So that when you are slandered, well, first of all, he says having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You know, we need to prepare our conduct. Having an, first of all, inwardly having a clear conscience, the inward testimony of a good conscience. Notice what he says with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Suppose you get angry at them. Suppose you just insult them. You know, you're just a fool that you can't believe in Jesus. What's wrong with you? You know, you're just a sinner. Well, so are you, but for the grace of God. Uh, but how would you feel about that afterward? You'd come away thinking, oh, that just that wasn't very good. You know, I really just blew it. <laughs> you know, I was I was no better than they were. I just insulted them the same way they insult me. That that's a conscience that hurts. And Peter says to respond with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So we need that inward testimony of a good conscience. We also need the outward testimony of good behavior, that those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Again, that they might feel a bad conscience. Boy, you know, I treated that person badly, the unbeliever thinks, and yet they've always responded kindly and well to me. In their slander, they might be put to shame. One key biblical example of this is Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, uh, where Daniel is appointed to high position and others, presumably out of uh, envy uh, or dislike of Daniel personally, whatever it might be, tried to bring him down. And listen to this. Would this be true of you? Listen to this. 
This is Daniel 6, verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. You know, if if they have to find a complaint with you, let their complaint be that you are faithful to Christ, that you are faithful to the scriptures, that you stand on biblical truth, that you have the outward testimony of a good behavior. And then finally, we need the divine testimony of a good savior. Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Finally, he comes to this. This verse is interesting. It serves both as kind of the end of this section and the transition into the next section, which Lord willing we'll look at next week. But notice Peter just comes back to Jesus. For Christ also suffered the righteous for the unrighteous. You see, we need to remember that testimony of Jesus, that when you suffer for righteousness sake, you're not enduring anything that Jesus has not already endured for you. And we come back to our Lord. He was the one who suffered the truly and perfectly righteous for the unrighteous. The one who uh, never in any way deserved any kind of suffering whatsoever because he never sinned at all and certainly never sinned against someone His suffering was all for righteousness' sake, that he might bring us to God. And so, yes, when we talk about preparing our conduct, we need the inner testimony of a good conscience. We need the outward testimony of our good behavior, godly behavior. But we also need that divine testimony of our Savior to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to remember that he never calls us to suffer or endure anything that he himself has not already suffered and to a much higher and much more intense degree than we ourselves will ever suffer. You see, on a, on a personal level, you may suffer from family members or friends or neighbors for standing for righteousness sake. And the day may come, and perhaps in some ways is already here, when on a societal level or legal level, you may suffer or I may suffer for remaining faithful to Christ and remaining faithful to his word. But what are we to think about that? Well, in either case, our thinking ought to be the same as that of the apostles in Acts 5, verse 41, where they were brought before the Jewish council for preaching about Jesus, and they were beaten, and they were instructed not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And then we read that they went out rejoicing, that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name, the name of Jesus. They went out sore, to be sure, bleeding perhaps, but rejoicing that they had been given the privilege of suffering for the name of the Lord Jesus. Not only did they rejoice, but verse 42 tells us something else they did. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ because they had to obey God rather than men. You see, though we might suffer for it from this world, we never stop standing for what is right, what is true. We never stop doing what is good. Let's pray.
Our Father, we recognize there have been plenty of times where we have suffered consequences for doing what is wrong and doing what is sinful and doing what is false. But Father, we thank you for your grace and your work in us, and we pray that you would cause us, Father, uh, to live in these ways that Peter has described here. And Father, we recognize that the world does not like Jesus. The world hates Jesus, and if it hates him, it will hate us too. But, Father, help us not to fear the world. Help us to fear Christ, that he is our Lord, he is our master. And, Father, that we would be willing to suffer for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of truth. And, Father, in suffering, to respond uh, with grace and love and forgiveness and blessing, the same way our Lord Jesus responded to those who attacked and eventually murdered him. But, Father, fill us with that right perspective, Lord, to even in those circumstances it may be hard and may be painful to rejoice in so being identified with Jesus as to suffer for his name. Father, let us always, when we suffer, suffer for righteousness' sake, for truth's sake. We pray it in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen.